standard issue for all women. Welcome to this week's episode of The Sunday Chops. Tis I, Jen, to tell you all about it. Throughout the month of May, I am doing a run of Sporty Chops, which started last week with a chat with the founder of the new W series, Catherine Bonmure, as well as drivers Alice Powell and Emma Kimilainen, to talk about this all-female racing series, which is pretty exciting stuff. I'll also be catching up with Sarah Train from Kick It Out to talk about homophobia and racism in sport. And there will be a Women's World Cup special in which I'll be talking to, among other people, Alex Scott. Yeah, I know, I was quite excited about that as well. This week you will be hearing from Jackie Forsyth, an Associate Professor of Exercise Physiology at Staffordshire University, and Claire Marie Roberts, a Senior Lecturer in Sport and Exercise Psychology at the University of the West of England. They have edited a new book called The Exercising Female, Science and Its Application, in which they look at, well, all things exercising female. We chatted about why we should be treating the male and female bodies as different as opposed to one big interchangeable lump about why this research is so needed and even dispelling a few period myths yeah PE teacher I'm on to you the book is absolutely fascinating and not just from a you know academic perspective and you can get hold of it from all good bookshops I found the chat absolutely fascinating so I really hope you enjoy this hello Mickey here sorry to interrupt your listening pleasure but I just thought as you're having such pleasure listening, you might be up for helping us out in making more content that champions women. That's easy to do. You can just bob along to our Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash standard issue. And any spare bunch you might have found in your pocket down the back of the sofa, feel free to chuck it to us. Much obliged. I'm joined by Jackie Forsyth and Claire Marie Roberts, editors of the Exercising Female Science and Its Application. Hello, thanks for joining me. Jackie, you are an associate professor at Staffordshire University. I do exercise physiology, which is about how the body works. So about how the body responds to exercise and how the body adapts to a period of training. And my focus is really on women, just because if you look at the research, there's not that much done on women. There's a lot of stuff that's done on males so things like training programs interventions tend to be based on data that have been collected from males so we felt there was a need to do more research about women for women and Claire Marie you are a senior lecturer at the University of the West of England that's right yeah and uh, a sports psychology consultant so my work similar to Jackie but it's based on the psychological approaches to sport performance so trying to maximise sport performance through using psychological techniques. And again, similar to Jackie, in my domain, the majority of the research is, is focused on male participants. And what we do is we try and generalise and apply that to a female population. And really, there's a huge gap in the literature surrounding the female psychological approach to sport performance. So, so that's what, something that we wanted to address in the book. So can you tell us a little bit about the research that you've compiled we wanted to look at more of the scientific issues associated with exercising females we didn't necessarily want to look about how to increase participation in sport and exercise we do touch on that but it was more about women who already exercise and looking at some of the issues they might encounter 
because of just who they are, either psychologically or more physiologically. So that's why we've incorporated, for instance, chapters on menstrual cycle, on the menopause, issues that are relevant to the exercising female. So what we did is we, we took a sort of whole life cycle approach to females um, in exercise. So we went all the way through from adolescent sports participation right the way through you know, a woman's life cycle to the menopause phase of a, as a, of a female's life. So we wanted to encapsulate really you know, all of the sort of key phases that a woman would go through during her life cycle. I'm quite interested in this because I guess if you look at like the patterns of what most female participation in sport is like I imagine generally you get into it sort of relatively young and if you withstand that awkward teenage phase you probably stick with it but I didn't really start till I was about late 20s early 30s. What does the picture usually look like? Well, I think I mean, there's a lot of research out there that talks about how PE is taught in schools and how actually that alienates quite a significant proportion of the female population. Old techniques, for example, cold changing rooms, kit, peer pressure, um, especially in mixed schools, and really a lack of a breadth of options available for, for girls to, to take up in PE. That phase is critical. I mean, there's also family influences that are key in a girl's life. So if you're born into an active family, the likelihood is is that you're going to be an active sports participant or exercise participant yourself. So between school and the home environment, I think those, those two things are, are key in either encouraging females or not into a sort of lifetime of sports participation. But like you say, generally, females get exposed to sport through the school system. If that's a positive experience, then it's likely that this sort of lifelong approach to sport and exercise is, is something that results... If they disengage, it's because of a, a poor experience, generally at, at school and perhaps not supported by the parents. So those early experiences in, uh, in the, the female's life cycle are, are key. This has come about because there's not a lot of information out there about women and exercise. It's something that is only just really being talked about in a serious way now. Professional female athletes are more common. Obviously women have been exercising for, you know, for, <laughs> for a very long time. But the justification behind our book was really that all of the scientific literature, actually that's unfair, the majority of the scientific literature is focused on male samples and you know females are their own population they have their own challenges and mostly that's the challenges of the biology of the female which is rarely if at all mentioned in in the literature in in the scientific literature so you find that um, and I'm delving into Jackie's sphere here but a lot of the physical training methods that we impose on athletes are based and developed as a result of research on a male sample. And are we really convinced that it's taken into account the sort of biological differences associated with, um, with the female anatomy and physiology? Do we know that you know, we're, we're asking the females to do the right thing with their, with their physical training? So Anna Kessel's book, Eat, Sweat, Play, touches on this, about some of the sort of medical misogyny, I guess you would call it around women's bodies, women's health, and that sort of creeps into sport. We don't really look at the impacts of female-specific biology and, and female and male bodies are sort of treated as interchangeable almost, even though you feel like that must not be the case. Why is this interest happening so late? I don't know. I mean, I've, I think I've been interested in it for a while, but even when I started to be interested in it, so I started doing my PhD and I did it on menstrual cycle effects, and I just assumed that everything had already been done. 
and this was still interested, they'd done lots and lots of research, but it turned out there was still big gaps in the literature. So even that on its own, it was trying to do some research to um, find more about how hormones and exercise interact, either how they affect an exercising female or also how exercise impacts on the hormones. So I was kind of really interested in that interaction. I think one of the reasons why it's taken until 2018 to get a book like this written and out there is because, you know, sport is inherently patriarchal. It's a very male-dominated industry at all levels, especially at sports governance level, for example. The numbers of male academics in sport are greater than female, so you've got that real gender imbalance anyway. And I think you can probably you know, read into that and see and understand how the female-specific topics get maybe you know, sidelined or, or they don't become the priority that they should be in research terms. So that's why you know, we're now 2019 and, and this is a relatively novel topic. But hopefully it's the, the start of a change, a bit of a U-turn. And do you feel that change in the work that you do? Do you, do you feel like you're seeing that come through? When you're involved in sport... As a female, you tend to try and conform. So the conforming approach is to be like the males, to to have the football banter and to know things like that, to fit in so that you feel that you can progress. So therefore, I think that's sometimes why the research can be lacking, because females would not necessarily think that they need to research about females because they want to fit in and conform, and so let's talk about football, let's talk about males. So I think... That's a barrier to maybe female academics. I haven't really got any sort of hard data to support this, but my opinion is that it, that it is. So I think it's probably worth mentioning that the idea for this book was born out of a collection of like-minded academics coming together to, I guess, combine enthusiasm and knowledge and expertise. Jackie and I have set up the Women in Sport and Exercise Academic Network, so we didn't want to reinvent the wheel. It was an acknowledgement that there was lots of pockets of, of work going on out there, but no real sort of joining force behind it. So when we, when we set up the network, we actually uncovered all of these areas of, of work that were going on, but really perhaps not promoted as, as much as they, they should have been. So the, the contributors to the book, the majority of them are members of our, of our academic network. And I hope that you know, that sort of showcases the, the strength and depth of, of the research that's going on in this particular area. But I do think in my opinion, that things are changing. I would agree with you to a certain extent because gender equality, uh, gender pay gap, the Me Too campaign, it's all there at the moment, so there's an interest in it, so it's a really good time. But that said, things like the number of female coaches in professional sport has declined. So this is, even since changes in Sexual Discrimination Act, the numbers have declined. So we still need to keep pushing and we still need to keep doing the research and we still need to keep readdressing the balance. And I think it's really important that we, we spoke about the promotion of this type of work. But I think that's you know, promoting strong female role models that are succeeding in this industry. And I also think that's part of making sure that we're continually pushing forward and encouraging more females to, to be a part of this industry and to, to readdress that gender balance. I noticed, looking at the list of contributors, there's quite a few from the US. Do you think they have a different attitude 
there. I mean, they have a more sort of developed domestic structure in some sports, I guess, like basketball, soccer, as they would call it. Yeah, I know, I know. I wouldn't call it that either. And yet I did. When we, we ran a conference last year, so this was part of the Women in Sport and Exercise Academic Network, and we did have some guest speakers who were from America, and they were saying that these issues were just great and that they weren't getting explored enough in America. So I don't know whether that was just because um, often the sport science that they do is, is fairly limited. It's more about coaching, teaching, athletic trainers, education, rather than sport science per se. So maybe there's a, a lack there anyway, but there seemed also to be a lack of focus on the female athlete. So I can't say for the entire of the country, but maybe the change is also slow there and the fact that they keep quoting these numbers of athletic trainers and numbers of um, coaches that have gone down in America that's where the data is from suggests that things are still not progressing the way they should. I also think that if if America, I'm speculating it but if America really did have more of a focus on women in sports than us then somebody in America would have written this book because I mean there is expertise pockets of expertise you know within America but I, I guess maybe that's your answer that um, it's it, we're in a similar boat. What were some of the sort of key findings or key areas that you focused on in the book did you find anything that really surprised you? My area of research is on bone health so initially I was interested in how if you were using some type of hormonal contraception, say for instance it was progesterone only, how that could affect your bone health if you're exercising. So certain types of contraception, you know, the, um, for instance the jab or the injection, often it can lead to really poor bone health. And so um, females are discouraged from using it for prolonged amounts of time. But these women from healthcare professionals were saying, well, you should, as long as you're doing some exercise, you're okay. But our findings were that if you were combining it with the exercise, it could actually make things worse. So the, if you were combining having the injections with exercise, it was almost as though there wasn't enough estrogen to build the bone back up. So the exercising was having an effect of stimulating bone turnover, but it was breaking it down. But because of the lack of estrogen, it wasn't building it back up. However, we found that a certain types of exercise are best. So it has to be really targeted. So we did this one intervention, which involves some jumping and it was just 10 jumps per day for about three to five days in the week it was separated by a 10 20 second rest in between and that was enough uh, for an effect to occur so unlike cardiovascular health where you have to maybe do longer distance training to have that cardiovascular effect with bone health it adapts to high impact sudden forces something unusual so for instance long distance runners might not have so good bone health it's the sprinters and the jumpers that have um, better bone health and we found that if you could target the exercise and if you were using certain types of contraception that were low in estrogen you could counter that effect by making sure that exercise was targeted i think what we were trying to do it was collate existing research and put it in a medium that could be accessible for everybody so a lot of the areas in my area anyway were things that were quite well known with a few little things that were more innovative but I suppose in the other areas that I wasn't aware of things like I was really interested in the exercise addiction and the body image chapter 
that's because it's not my area. So I found that in the book there was something to read and I ended up reading it. Like it was really good, it sounds really sad, but it was quite good nighttime, bedtime reading for me because it was actually interesting. So I think there'll be something in there for everyone. And I think just to add that because my specialism is psychology, the, the, the social sciences, that you know I have an awareness of the you know the more sort of physiology-based stuff. But from reading the the chapters, the the ones that Jackie was more responsible for, with from the sort of um, physiology side of things, that was that provided a great deal of clarity for me, and obviously an enhanced understanding that you know, we, we really are a specific population and we shouldn't be considered to be a, a different version of a, of a man, of a male. Whilst, you know, we, we put an awful lot of effort into the Exercising Female book, I think, I think it's probably fair to say that it's more of a starting point. So I hope that it sort of spurs people into, into action to continue to research in the areas, expand research in the areas. So maybe when we do our second edition, we've got some new findings or some additional significant research to, to report. Hey there, people of London and indeed the surrounding areas. We are back at King's Place on May the 19th with an absolutely cracking lineup for you. McLean, Andrea, Millican, Sarah, V, Sindhu and Mickey and I posing the questions it is going to be absolutely cracking so get yourself over to our website www.standardissuepodcast.com for information about where you can get tickets and all our other shows of which there are many how different are men's and women's bodies in terms of sport? So, yeah, usually males and females are compared in terms of their physical attributes. And we all know that men are stronger and generally tend to be fitter. But there was, there's certain things about a female that maybe that in certain events women can outperform males. I can't remember the name of the person, but she's just in this event across the Pennines and she's, she broke, yeah, the spine race, and she bro- broke the record by 12 hours and breastfeeding along the way. And one of the reasons for that is because women are really good at storing fat, but also using fat, which means that they can spur glycogen, so carbohydrate. You know, if you were doing a marathon and you kind of, that hitting the wall idea where you can completely depleting of carbohydrate the idea is that women can use their fat reserves and mobilize their fat better than males and therefore in ultra distance events could potentially perform better than males so i'm really interested in that interaction between hormones and exercise and our hormones pervade all our life all the way from when you get your first period through to when you're in menopause to me it's an obvious thing to think about because I think that's what you're thinking about all the time so the chapters that we we put in there were to do with menstrual cycle contraceptive pill menopause pregnancy all things that were really relevant for women that yeah exactly that is there in your mind all the time and yet no one has bothered to do the research maybe that's a bit unfair but there is a real lack of research around these things and yet that's so obvious isn't it exactly i think the, I think the other thing to, to mention as well is the the chapter on breast health 
And, you know, obviously males have breasts, females tend mostly to have larger breasts. But for some, that could be a real barrier to exercise. And, you know, the sort of biomechanics, breast biomechanics is, a, is another very specific topic that should be considered in the exercising female. And again, is almost, you know, never Lost. touched upon. Yeah. The other thing as well is the female athlete triad chapter. So that's about when if you exercise in too much, you could start having menstrual irregularities or menstrual disorders. It could be because um, you can't consume enough to meet your requirements as an exerciser. And it could be because of exercise addiction. And so then what happens, um, females then lose their ability to mobilise fat, like I've said. So they're, re- you know, in a normal menstrual cycle situation, then a female could perhaps perform better than males in these ultra-distance events. But if you lose your menstrual cycle because you're not eating enough or because you're exercising too much or you're not eating enough to cover the demands of your exercise, then you could end up with a situation where you have these menstrual irregularities. And not only could that reduce your performance, it also can lead to fertility problems, obviously, and also it can affect your bone health, which, when you get older, is really important. So having that normal menstrual cycle and making sure that hormonally, if you're ingesting anything, synthetic hormones for contraception purposes, that you still maintain a healthy estrogen and progesterone levels in order to become fertile if you want to in the future or to sustain your bone health for the future. On the bodily differences, the other chapter that was particularly interesting to me was the chapter on musculoskeletal injuries in the exercising female. There are times within a female's menstrual cycle that she's more susceptible to musculoskeletal injuries, which is something that you don't find in males and I was thinking back to knee injuries that I had previously you know everything sort of starts slotting into into place but I'll let Jackie explain it that's right so the chapter on that focused on various injuries but in particular ACL injuries of the knee so there's a higher prevalence in a female population and um, in the chapter the authors discuss reasons for that so not only hormonal but also physiological reasons landing regions kinematic type reasons that could account for the increased prevalence so that I found interesting and also ways that you could counter that as a female. So what about from a psychological perspective how different is the exercising male and the exercising females minds I guess? Yeah actually I think that's that's a more difficult question because you know you, you do find athletes certainly at the sort of elite end where they're almost inseparable in terms of their sort of psychological approach mental toughness and their preparation for, for competition and, and their ability to withstand you know the, the stress of, of the high-performance environment but actually the the psychological differences are um, more in the sort of socio-cultural context as the individual starts to develop so society's expectations of women and their role in society often put them at a bit of a disadvantage in, in the sports space so there's a chapter in the book that's on motherhood and the exercising female and that's all about well actually it's about the exercising female all the way up to the elite athlete and how balancing motherhood with the demands of either recreational or elite athletic performance is actually really really tough 
not just from a physiological perspective, but also because individuals are judged for exercising or going back into an athletic career after having a child because society expects that those individuals have got this ethic of care. The female must always be the sort of, you know, the primary caregiver for offspring. And if they're not, you know, they're selfish. And so, you know, that that weight of expectation really works against the female, both from a recreational and a high-performance sport environment. So it's really, rather than the sort of intra-individual differences in in psychology it's more about the environment that individuals are developed in and exist in and the expectations that 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 environment places on those on those people i like that you say in the book that one of the points of the book in the introduction you say is to make the most of being a woman to achieve athletic success how can the information in the book be used to make sort of tangible progress in women's sports? My opinion is that any individual that's working in applied sport, in the applied sport environment, so whether you're a coach or you're a sports scientist, for example, that it is fundamentally important that you understand the male-female differences, so the the specificity of the requirements of the female athlete, not only in terms of the, the physiology, but also in terms of some of the things that you might not consider, like you know the additional psychological pressures that society places on us as, as females. So I, I think that anybody that's working with female athletes should see the book as, as a really rich source of reference to help them understand how best to get the, the maximum out of the individuals that they're working with. completely agree with that. By its title, although we're saying exercise female, we obviously don't want to exclude the males. It's a, a good read for everybody. It's a getting an understanding of how the female body works, like you say, both psychologically and physiologically. And it is a must, really, for anybody that's involved in sport who uh, is working along, exercising alongside a female or coaching a female or working in the governance of sport. Um, so that they can have a good understanding of the key issues involved in a female sports. There's also information in the book that would be useful or interesting, sort of recreational, I guess, at grassroots level. Were there any really common myths that the research helped you to dispel? I'm not sure it's a, it's a common myth, but previously there was an expectation that, that women were just another version of, of men. I think I've mentioned that before. Often smaller versions of, of men, which is incredibly unhelpful and you know, can really set you on the wrong track when, when you're working with either recreational exercises or, or elite athletes. It's maybe just because certain areas are considered to be a taboo. So Heather Watson, who came out with the idea that she was suffering from menstrual problems and this wasn't really talked about, so it's not really talked about in the locker room, the changing room, with the coach. So I think it's not really myths, but it's things that are not talked about. So likewise in terms of menopause we're not really talking about it enough almost because if you say oh I'm in the middle of a hot flush it can be construed as being a weakness so you know those still are areas that are important to, to still to talk about that menopause is real that there are differences that occur then also because of hormones that exercise could make better or that could also affect exercise. Is it true that exercise helps get rid of people? period pains as far as i understand it the experience of menstruation is very individual so you know one person can sort of 
sail through the experience and the person is kind of struck down and bed-bound. I'm not 100% sure what research says, but there's certainly anecdotal reports that suggest... It's to do with prostaglandins, which are about pain and that the pain feeling and it can probably work two ways so if you exercise you can maybe tighten up too much and therefore not relaxing because it's about the muscles actually relaxing around your uterus area um, but it's also about exercising in the long term which could improve blood flow to that area so it, it could be a little bit of two ways but like you say it is very individualistic and it's just to try different things and see what works for you. That's what my PE teacher used to say to me. Oh, is that right? <laughs> but it might not be at the time because if you do intense exercise, it can make you feel worse because one of the reasons why you get painful periods is because of the tension in that area. So you need to be able to relax, hence the hot water bottles and the relaxation and going to bed. So if you're then told in your PE lesson, get out there, you'll run it off, well, that's not going to help at all because you're going to um, contract even more. <laughs> yeah, burst it, yeah. I know somebody, and I won't say who it is, who, who swears that if she exercises intensively during a period, she can shorten her cycle by a day. I know. And apparently it's really painful sort of experience, you know, in the here and now. But, uh, but yeah, I think... the relaxation that comes after you've done the exercise is okay. But during the exercise, if you're tensing, in addition to the pain that you've got, which is you're also contracting, I mean, it's any type of pain if you can relax then usually you can cope with it better. So if maybe the exercise, it's, if for, you know, chronically, as in if you're doing it all the time, can make you cope with certain things because you're able to relax. But doing exercise intentionally might, for some women, make the sensation of pain worse. I think psychologically the individual approach is important. I think the worst thing is if you suffer really badly from your periods, like the, the last thing you want to hear is, you know, the next person went out and exercised and it was all fine and then you can't replicate that experience. So I think that, you know, just making sure that every in individual is dealt with on that basis and is, is an important message to get across. Okay, so basically what we're saying is don't make your daughter do PE <laughs> if she's on her period, but make her do it the rest of the time. Preventative, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> so where can we find out more about the work you're doing with the Women in Sport and Exercise Academic Network? You can find out more about the Women in Sport and Exercise Academic Network by following us on Twitter. So it's at wise, W-I-S-E underscore A-N. And we have our second annual conference at St Mary's University in Twickenham on the 11th and 12th of June in 2019. Claire Marie and I, we are the editors for the book and we'd really like to thank all the contributors who helped put this book together. They were the experts, so although Claire Marie and I, we've written chapters within the book, it's the other people that have really made the book work. From just a space of someone who's interested in women's health in sport, I think it's really, really interesting. It's really interesting to be able to understand a bit more about the female body, basically, because you're right, there isn't enough out there. So thanks very much. Thank you, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hello, Hannah here. Just wanted to let you know that if you like what we do, you can help us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really does help, especially if you give us five stars. Did that sound threatening enough? Give us five stars. Standard issue. 
for all women.